You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, somebody uh, greeted me before service, said it's, it's been a long time. Uh, since they had seen me, and that certainly is true, my ministry has me travel to a, a number of churches. In fact, this is the first Sunday I have been back since they had the new screens, which are pretty amazing. And uh, just a shout out to, to Peter uh, and the media team, everybody doing that. It's just, it's awesome. And uh, so just some of my observations, if I could, if you'd let me, because you've observed this probably too. First of all, it's awesome. Uh, secondly, it's incredible. Uh, no, no, like for real, I, I look at it and I'm like, all right, so I got glasses two years ago. I was supposed to be wearing them. I'd, I wore them the first day and I was working with this woman and I looked at her and said, what's wrong with your face? Uh, now, as it turned out, I know you think that's a joke. I think I pretty much, I think that may be word for word. Um, because suddenly I could see like super clearly, right? I just watched these announcement videos. We just went high def on this staff and this team. And I just want to say I'm thankful that we have beautiful pastors and beautiful administrators. Like it, it works so well. Aren't you glad you don't have to deal with this on the screens for announcements, right? But before service today back in the green room, uh, the, the worship team was talking and they started striking up a conversation because they're like cosmetologists and beauticians back there. Did you know that? They cut your hair? I, they're, they're talking about the, the hairs that they cut. They cut a lot of your hair, apparently. Uh, and, uh, and then they got onto the men in the community that they cut their hair. And I heard, uh, I heard one of them say to the other, yeah, I trim beards too. <clears throat> I was picking up what she was laying down. I mean, I, my beard does this thing where it kind of sweeps to one side. I don't, I don't ever remember which side it is. So, if it, if, so I just have to like preach sideways to you just so that it keeps it in. Like I could pick up the, the hints, right? Man, people who do their jobs well are, are amazing. Not everybody's perfect, right? We're talking about, uh, we're talking about just a lot, of, a lot of things this week. Not everybody's perfect. But I do want to say this. We got a pretty good pastor. Pastor Greg is a great pastor and uh, I hope that you I hope that you have gotten to experience the way that he cares for people and uh, and if you haven't it's probably coming around uh, there will probably be something that you go through where you'll find Pastor Greg and Pastor Lisa as they come alongside you and help encourage you through challenging times and they rally the church around you to, to help you I'm so thankful for our pastor um, when, I, when I moved to this community four years ago, uh, I, I had pastored another church, and uh, I was elected to serve as, as an overseer in Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and half of West Virginia, over 360 churches and 1,100 ministers. And so, again, my ministry takes me all over the place, but I wanted a, I wanted a church where my family could connect, could be part of the community of faith. And it was a big transition for me because I loved leading a church like this. I loved pastoring 
and all of that. And so I'm wondering, what's it going to be like in this new place? And God blessed me with Pastor Greg, who came to my home and sat on my couch and said, Ben, we are so glad that your family is part of our church, and, and we just want you to know you are welcome, and we want God to move in your life and your family's life. He said, would it be okay if, if maybe a couple times a year I asked you to preach uh, for me? And I said, absolutely. And so how gracious that he would give me an opportunity to minister like this. And I'm so thankful. I, I, never, I, I never take that for granted, that his invitation to me gives me the ability to share the word of God with you. And so I'm looking forward to doing that today. But before we get into the word, it's a, it's a special holiday weekend. He's, he's out traveling this week, visiting family out in the Midwest. But it is a, uh, it is a, a national holiday, right? The 4th of July. Now, I'm getting to an age where birthdays hit just a little different, where you start thinking through like, huh, had a lot of these. <laughs> See, I, I'm also at an age where I make comments like that and, and the young people are like, yeah, you have. <laughs> but the older, the older folk, they're like, uh, brother, you, you still have some laps around the block before you start thinking about that kind of stuff, right? No, but I, I'm at a place where I start to realize just how grateful I am to have lived another year and to think about what it will mean to live the year ahead. And I, that's just part, probably part of where I am in my life and whatever. But, but I, I celebrate birthdays that way with gratitude. And, and so the 4th of July, the birthday of our nation, is one that, that causes me to celebrate with gratitude uh, but also to consider what's it been like to have had another year here in the U.S. And what will it be like for us to live into the next year uh, that's ahead of us at this birthday? And so I want to call us to pray for a few moments. Now, we pray and join our brothers and sisters around the world who are praying today. Did you know they're, they're praying for their nation today, even though they don't have a 4th of July celebration lined up? Maybe not fireworks uh, to fire off, but they're praying because it is in the instructions of God in 1 Timothy to the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God that expands beyond any national border that says this is what we're to do. 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, the church needs to be praying for all people in their nation, especially those that have been put into leadership, because it allows the church to do what the church is for. And that's to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Man, we live in such a, a, a blessed place that we gather together in freedom without any fear to gather in Jesus' name and declare him. And yet around the world, and every Sunday as I pray in the morning, I think about believers, our brothers and sisters who gather in countries with all different governments, all different policies, all different politics, some of them under fear of reprisal, some of them will have their pastors taken to prison uh, when they find out they're preaching Jesus. We, we live in such a blessed place, don't we? 
And so I just want to take a moment to honor the Lord by doing what he asked the church to do. And that is to pray for all people, especially those who lead us. Would you join me? Right now, would you just ask the Lord what he wants you to pray? Like we just prayed a few minutes ago, passionate core prayer. But would you just ask the Lord, how does he want you to pray right now? And would you begin to do that? Intercede right now for our nation, for our state, for our local government. God, we join together our hearts in faith, Lord, and, and Lord, with desire that you would use our prayers to mobilize your kingdom. Lord, the kingdom of God that is still spreading. Lord, the, the word of God, Lord, that is going forward. Lord, that the knowledge of the Lord is, is spreading throughout the earth like the waters cover the seas. Lord, but we are celebrating yet another birthday celebration of our nation. We, we look back at the great faithfulness that you have shown us, Lord, as a people. Lord, that you have graciously given us, Lord, the freedoms that we have. Lord, you, you have graciously raised up generations of servicemen and women, Lord, who have defended our freedom. You have graciously guided and directed, Lord, so that we would not only live in a blessing, but, Lord, we would be a blessing around the world. Lord, thank you for that. God, I pray that you would quicken us, strengthen us in our prayers and intercession. Lord, that we would never lose sight, uh, we would never lose focus. Lord, that, that the nation whose God is the Lord is blessed. That's what your word says. So Lord, we pray, would you increase the knowledge of God in our neighborhood? Would you increase the knowledge of God in our state? Would you increase the knowledge of God in our nation, Lord, so that we may, we may live peacefully and be able to spread your word? But, Lord, would you lead those who have been uh, empowered and entrusted and given authority to lead? Lord, what a great challenge they face. What a great challenge to try to sort through as best they can the decisions that they should make. Lord, I, I don't think anyone takes that lightly. So I pray, Lord, that they may find themselves in the counsel of God. I pray they may find themselves hearing from your Holy Spirit. I, I pray that they would be supported through the intercession of your people, Lord, so that your purpose may come forward and to bear. And Lord, we look at the year ahead of us, not knowing what it holds, but Lord, we say this is a precious, precious nation, and we thank you for the way you're leading it. Let this next year, I pray, Lord, be a, be a year of power. Let it be a year of provision. Lord, let it be a year of purpose. Lord, as your people in this nation turn to you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. 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 You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at that passage this morning, uh, right in the beginning of the book of James. We're going to be talking about some, uh, some, some, double, some doubles uh, in our lives just for a moment. I, how many of you, can I get a witness for double stuffed? Double stuffed, okay, yeah. You know, years ago, I, I, I actually I listened to a news report that, that said they had done a study and found the addictive nature of Oreos, right? I mean, this is just this is the way life works. They find something, they put a hook in you, and they just won't let you go. We're going to have an altar call for those of you addicted to Oreos in just a little while. <laughs> then they went, they, look, when I was a kid, you could only get like one kind of Oreo, right? And my family didn't even get Oreos. We got that other brand with the cookies that, you know, it just wasn't quite the same. If you get Oreos as a kid, count yourself blessed that you don't get that other brand. If you're having that other brand, we're going to pray for provision. 
for your family today at the altar today. Because you need the real thing. But listen, don't get addicted. Okay. Now here's what I know about some of y'all. Some of you take those cookies, you give it a little twist. Because you're only interested in what's in the middle. I watch you stack them up and throw the cookies away. But somehow the cream has gone. And so Nabisco, I think it's Nabisco. I'm not getting paid to advertise their product, though I probably should be. But they have come up with a way, right? Double stuff. Like, you don't even have to eat the cookies. We'll take the cookies out of the package. Same size package, just more stuffing, right? Why? Because we like double stuff. Uh, Does anybody like double the flavor, double the fun? (laughs) Only old people know what I'm talking about right now. All right? Look, we're, we're, talk, look we're, we're going in the way back machine for teenagers in the house to 1986 when Wrigley Bubblegum decided to run commercials, double the flavor, double the fun, with Wrigley's double mint gum, right? And it was like they found every set of twins in the United States and put them in a commercial. Like these are great people because they're twins. If you're a twin, praise God for your twin. We're going to have a, an altar call for you in just a moment. Okay. <laughs> See, at some point, that is going to run out of steam. Like, the altar call jokes are not, they're not going to work, all right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to go on. Hey, look, some of you say, hey, I'm into the double stuff. Some of you say, hey, I'm into double the flavor, double the fun. Some of y'all are too spiritual, so you're like, I'm, I'm here for the double portion. The double portion. Can I, okay, somebody's amen to me now. I think I see a hanky coming out. Start waving at me. I was... I was somewhere preaching recently, and uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of a, an ecumenical gathering and that kind of thing. And they said, hey, don't preach too long. Now, you people know me. You, how could that possibly happen? Somebody has heard my sermons. They're laughing over here. Okay. And he said, look, if, if you go too long, I'm going to pull out a hanky and start waving it to like we surrender. And I said, brother, I'm Pentecostal. That means a whole different thing in my church when you start waving hankies. That may not work the way you think. No, somebody's interested in the double portion. This comes from the Old Testament. Elijah is raising up Elisha, right? He's mentoring this young minister, and God says, it's, your time is over, Elijah. I'm going to take you home. He's going to get caught up in a chariot and go to heaven. And Elisha says what? What does he want when his master leaves? I, I want a double portion. I want a double portion of the Spirit of God. Now, look, even talking about this, people just got real serious, brother. They're like leaning in. They're like, okay, we're, we're finally to the word. Like, we're getting no more double stuffed Oreos. Like, we're talking about the double portion. But there's some other doubles, aren't there? There's like um, double trouble. Some of you are like, oh, now you're preaching my sermon. I, I know about double trouble. That's, that's where, like, things are, are bad and then they got worse, right? And, and then we have things like double down. Anybody know about double down? What does that mean? It means you're losing. You're losing, and so your only hope is like to try to throw some more at it so that maybe you'll come out a winner, right? Double, don't do that. Don't double down. But today I want to talk about a, another double, a, another double to the negative. Another double that, that kind of shows us how things are not working, like double trouble or doubling down. And James writes about it in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'd like to, to read that for you now. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. Somebody say double-minded. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to talk to you about your mind today and, and uh, title my message Mindful, just the, the way that we worship God with our mind. Now, I want to address just for a moment that there's a, there's a, a, a if you search, if you Google mindfulness, you're not going to find a Bible study. Did you know that? You're going to find, uh, you're going to find uh, New Age and other religious uses of the term mindfulness to try to find peace. It's going to prescribe things like, uh, like um, repeating certain mantras. If you just repeat that over and over again, it clears the other things out of your mind. It's going to, it promises peace. Uh, other things you're going to find, sometimes there will be a focus on a certain tone, like a certain note of, of, of megahertz. And it's like a, a musical tone. And if you just listen to that for a while, then you can clear out your mind and, and you can be at peace. And uh, some of you all have, have maybe probably even t been told about apps that you can put on your phone to promote mindfulness, to help your mind get right and get straight. And, and, it's, and, and what, are, what are all of these things promising? They all promise peace. It's a promise of peace, peaceful minds. And by doing that, we, we clear away uh, other things that distract us, that, that, that kind of push us to the side or, or to the other. Well, this is a pattern of the world. The, the scripture says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. And so really, mindfulness is a way that we can honor God when we are mindful of our walk with him. And that his invitation to us is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and strength and soul and mind. This is what Jesus told his followers who asked, what is the greatest commandment? Well, it's to, it's to love the Lord your God. It's to worship God with every part of you, including your strength and your soul and your heart and your mind. Isaiah chapter 26 in the Old Testament reads this. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed upon him because they trust in him. And James is writing to a group of believers that are struggling to keep their mind focused on God. And here in chapter 1, we're looking at this way that he addresses the mind of those who are followers of Jesus. Now, James who's writing here. He identifies himself in the beginning. This is James from Jerusalem. He's, he's telling people, no, that's the James from Jerusalem. And I'll be honest with you. If you read the Bible, you, you encounter the name James a bunch of times. And, and that's not always the same person, right? But, but this James was leading the church in Jerusalem. He was known in church history as James the Just, all right? His, his role in ministry was to lead the, the way. That, that was what they called their gatherings in Christ, the way. 
He was leading the way in Jerusalem and had an influence around the world. In Acts 15, the Apostle Paul has been ministering to Gentile people, non-Jewish people, and they have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He knows that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Not only do they intellectually say, yes, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but the work of the Holy Spirit showed up. They began to, they began to walk in power. They began to be witnesses. They, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit where they began to, to speak in other tongues. And so they're, they're wrestling now because they're trying to figure out if we, we were a Jewish religion, like we're Jews, but now Gentiles are coming to faith and we know the Holy Spirit's at work in them. So... How have the rules changed? Like, do we still have to obey all the laws? Because, Je like, did Jesus fulfill the laws? And so they had to have a big meeting in Jerusalem. James the Just led that meeting. He was the one who led them to make decisions that seem, this is, what, this is how they describe it. It seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit. And he was the one who actually boiled it all down and said, here are the four things that you take back with you, Paul, as you go to the Gentile world, here are the four things that we say, hey, if we're all gonna do this together, we need to abstain from these things, food offered to idols, from blood, from strangled animals, and, uh, and sexual immorality. Like, if those are the four things, like those are deal breakers in our fellowship together, but everything else, we trust Jesus is leading this church to be more diverse than it was before. It was James who, who was leading the church this way. Josephus, who is an ancient historian, recorded for us that James the Just was the most Jewish of the apostles. He, uh, he practiced his Judaism piety more so than, than others. Uh, and, and I think it probably came because of the role that he played there in Jerusalem where there was a lot of scrutiny on these new believers and how, like, are they in or out? Are their enemies? Are they not? And so they would look at James and they say, well, he's, he's still abstaining. From, he's still living a clean life. He's still following the, the, the law of the Torah. And, and so they, they began to kind of intermingle and kind of go through those things. But something began to happen in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen uh, is stoned to death. And that, that means that people picked up rocks and threw at him until he was dead. Now, back when I was growing up, you could just say Stephen got stoned and people knew what you meant. <laughs> Nowadays, I have to take great care to explain. That means they picked up rocks and threw it at him until he died. And that began an exodus of Jesus followers from Jerusalem. They began to say, wow, persecution's coming. The, the heat's been turned up. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 12, King Herod Agrippa shows up and he wants to really keep a handle on this group of faith that keeps growing. And so he begins to round up and arrest people. Peter and John, the apostles, they got arrested and put in jail. Remember that? And the, 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 the body of believers gathered together for a prayer meeting. And, and Rhoda, this girl we read about in the book of Acts, she, she leaves the prayer meeting because somebody's knocking on the door and she goes and checks it. It's, it's Peter and John who, who actually had the chains fall off of them because God was miraculously delivering them, but she was afraid to open the door. That, that's great. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray for Peter and John. They show up. Nope, sorry, we're having a prayer meeting for you guys. You guys are not welcome here. Okay. James, James is involved in that. He, he's helping lead that prayer meeting. But history records 
that in A.D. 62, there was a change in the high priest, and the high priest was very threatened by the way. And so he rounded up James and brought accusation that James was not living Jewish enough, that he was breaking the law of God, and because of it, he too was killed by stones. It's amazing sometimes the way people work, that they, they want to look at the outside way that you live your life, and, and even if you're living it all right, they'll still use that to, to tear you down. Jesus had the same thing happen to him, false accusations that led to his death. And James, after 62, is no more. You know, James the just was the half-brother of Jesus. Did you know that? And when we talk about that, James and Jude, who also wrote a book of the Bible, uh, we we tend to refer to them as the half-brothers. That's because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? A a virgin birth is a central part of our theology. And so the rest of the children that Mary had were, were fathered by Joseph. And so they were, they were not fathered by the same father. And so they would be half-brothers. Now, my family just went on vacation. We went out to the American West, and we saw a bunch of national parks. It was really awesome. So, some of y'all texted me, like, did you get in Yellowstone before the flood? And we did. We actually had left Yellowstone the day before the flood occurred. We got hit by that storm in the Grand Tetons. And uh, so for, we just feel so fortunate to have been able to be there. My uncle was due two days later to go to Yellowstone and had to reroute his whole, his whole vacation. We did a, a road trip. We flew out to Bozeman, Montana, and we, we drove down Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, Salt Lake City, Moab, and then over to Zion. It was awesome. It was like a once-in-a-lifetime, two-week, longest vacation I ever had. And, uh, and we're doing that. You know how those vacations go. You start planning. You've got to plan a long time, right? You've got to book airfare. Then you got to find lodging. It's hard to find lodging out there if you wait till the last minute. So months and months ago, I started planning this road trip, rented the, the minivan, um, and, uh, and that was when gasoline was $2.79 uh, a gallon. <laughs> you watch it come, and you're like, maybe this wasn't great planning to do a road trip this year. But, but then you're locked in. So, man, thank God for the Gas Buddy app, right? I mean, we're driving 70 miles to save a penny per gallon. <laughs> we make our plans. We try, to, we try to go. We try to make it happen. Things don't always go the way we thought. But one thing I was really thankful for was that my children didn't end up bickering like I thought they would. You do a long road trip, you expect people going to get rubbed the wrong way, going to hear some of this chatter, right? My children never did. I was super proud of them. I don't know how that worked. Credit their mother. <laughs> but we, we just know there's, there's these uh, disagreements and ways that, that we're trying to find uh, our way. And, and I look at this, and, and I look at what's happening in, in Jerusalem, and I start seeing the way that the leadership starts writing to the people that are saying, man, this is, this is getting too hot for me. I, like, i got to start moving out, and, and now I'm trying to find my way. I'm going to a place I've never been. I, I had never been to any of those states that we went to the other week. I'm trying, I'm just, Utah, like the whole state of Utah is like a national park. Did you know that? I-70 is like a, it's like driving the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Amazing. But now I'm in a place I didn't know. People are in a place they don't know. And James is, is trying to help them navigate what it means to follow Jesus and, and endure 
what they're enduring because they're seeing all kinds of problems rising up for the church. They're seeing increased pressure and problems to follow Jesus the way that, that they knew they should. And, and so they're, they're in new surroundings and new people. And, and James writes to them because he remembers the words of Jesus. Now, history says James didn't follow Jesus. They, they probably did bicker on their family vacations. I don't want to... I don't want to ride next to him on the way to Jerusalem. <laughs> I, you, you say, but Jesus was perfect, right? So, like, he, he must have gotten along. With, now, listen, don't you have brothers and sisters? You know you're perfect, and they still had problems, right? <laughs> We're going to have an altar call for those who think they're perfect. And just... <laughs> no, but, but it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that James began to be a follower and a leader in the church. But he remembers what his brother said. Remembers Luke 21, verses 10 through 19, which reads, Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But all this, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. James is saying, okay, I... This is what Jesus said. Before all the big things happen, nation against nation, all that stuff. Before that happens, they're going to start seizing people and persecuting them. We're there. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And James is like, check, 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 check. This is all happening. And Jesus said, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind. Somebody say mind. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Luke 21, 19 says this. Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm, and you will win life. It's tempting to think that the challenges to our faith that some of us observe increasing. And we, we look around and we're like, man, it is getting harder. It's getting less accepted or acceptable to, to live a life of faith, to, 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 to stake our, our life on the words of our, of our Savior and to follow through in the words of the Scriptures. Some of us look and say there's great challenges all around to us to live a life of faith. We find ourselves exactly where James's friends are. They're in different places. They're trying to sort out their life, and they're saying everywhere we look, it's getting harder. And yet we actually live in a place where we still freely gather. We still freely worship. These are people who are facing increased pressure. And so James writes to them to make sure that their mind stays engaged. Jesus said, decide in your mind beforehand that you're not going to worry, that you're going to trust that I'm going to give the words and the wisdom that you need when you need it. James picks up on this theme. I read the text, but I just want to go back through it for a moment. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, consider it pure joy 
when you have trials. Now look, generally we don't like trials. I, I don't. I, some of you, I know, you've got problems. Okay. <laughs> I'm like a person who's like, consider it all problematic when you have trials. Consider it all inconvenient when I have trials. Consider it all painful when I have trials. I want the joy when there is no trial, right? We come in here and we worship together. I love worshiping here. I love Pastor Malik. I was teasing him a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, I, just, I love it when we're out here worshiping Pastor Malik. He starts, he starts the football drill. <laughs> I love that. I love it when he starts pumping his arms. I love that. I love it when he just takes a break and goes talk to Jesus for a minute. I'm just going to talk to Jesus, but I'm going to run back out here because I'm still helping. That's exciting, man. I love worshiping with Pastor Malik. I love it. Why? Because he's helping me. I'm like, yeah, I'm in it. I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I want to learn this new song because it's about Jesus. I don't know the words to it, but I'm just going to, Jesus. Y'all know me. I'm a loud singer. I, I'm sorry about that. I, for those who sit near me, I'm a loud singer. I just believe Jesus is listening. I should sing my best. But, man, it's easy when somebody's like, come on. And I want to consider it all joy when I get to worship with Pastor Malik. But James says, I'm writing to you because sometimes you don't get Pastor Malik's in your life. And sometimes you don't get to worship with him like you did a couple months ago when you were here in Jerusalem. You're in a new place trying to find a new way. And I want you to know, even when you're facing tough times, you can still do it with joy. You consider it joy. Why? Because now we are facing these trials that test and perfect our faith. It's not the testing of our knowledge, right? We don't consider it pure joy, the testing of our knowledge. You've been through a tough time. You've been through a situation where it's a trial you're going through. I could slide a piece of paper across the table, give you a pen, and say, tell me what you know about what God is going to do during this difficult trial that you're facing, right? And you could start, like, he'll be faithful. He is able. He'll provide. Like, we know it. I mean, sometimes the difference between what's up here and what's in here. And the challenge is the trials that are taking us to places where our knowledge is not per persevering, our faith is persevering. Those are great times of challenge, but they're also great times of joy. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. It is our faith that activates the work of God in our life. It is the faith that causes our mind to be stayed on him. So verse 4 goes on, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. This means finished and sound. In other words, every part that was needed to be applied was, was assembled and it is sound. There's no hollow place where it's all going to crush in on itself. You, you, are, you are mature and complete. And verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Man, what a, what a, what a thing. He says, look, you, I, I don't want you to be lacking anything, but if you lack wisdom, right, for your mind, 
You can ask God, and he gives love. Some of, us, some of us think this is how God deals with gifts. He, like, walks down the line, and he's like, a gift for you, and a gift for you, and a gift for you. Thanks for being here, bud. You've got a great personality. And a gift for you. And, you know, and some of us just think, like, the lineup, like, we are not going to get the gifts. Some of us feel like we get the short end of the, st- like, no. James says, look, if you need wisdom, ask God. He gives liberally and doesn't show partiality. He does it without finding fault, right? I was talking with my family the other day. My kids are still apparently uh, at that age where I, you know, I have fooled them into thinking I'm, you know, pretty great. And um, there's going to be an altar call for me in just a little while. And... Uh, the other day, my, my oldest daughter says, uh, she looks across the kitchen table, she says, Dad, you should write a book. <laughs> and I said, wow, like, what do you think I should write about? My, my daughter, Ellie, she said, I don't know what it's about, but I know the title. And I said, well, what, the t- what should the title be? You should title it, You Big Dummy. <laughs> Apparently, apparently, my children think I could write a book called You Big Dummy and fill it with things they need to learn about. I, I'm praying about that in my own life. Uh, some of us feel that way when it comes to keeping our minds stayed on God. I'm, just, I'm a big dummy. I just don't know how to get it right. I, I don't know how to get it together. And James says, look, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're waffling, there's a place you can turn. You can turn to a God who gives without finding fault. He does not walk the line and look at you and say... None for you, you big dummy. He doesn't do that. He says, I know you need wisdom. I will give it to you. But James says, look, when you're asking, think about it. You must believe that you're going to receive that gift and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. James is saying right now when when you are in this place where you're trying to find a a place of peace and a solid standing, not like the waves that get blown around by the wind and the water that sprays around and we don't know what direction it's going to go next. Instead, turn to him, allow your mind to be fixed on him and let wisdom come forward in you. Wisdom is the ability to see that what we're thinking and what we're doing and, and how we're, we're, we're deciding today affects tomorrow. So let, let your mind be set firmly in Him. Because when you do, you have a firm foundation. But until you do, you're like a wave that just gets, just gets sloshed around. And people struggle they struggle in their lives trying to relate to God because they're doing it like waves that are kind of just going around however the wind is blowing. They haven't found a way or a place to place their mind on him. Verse 8 says, such a person is double-minded. Somebody say double-minded. And unstable in all they do. A mind that is unstable, a mind that is, is doubled is a mind that's, that's going to make mistakes. I, uh, I've told you before about my lazy eye in, in past messages. I've shared 
that God gave me a lazy eye. My left eye wanders if I don't, if I don't pay attention. That's why they don't use me on the announcement videos. <laughs> High definition and eyes that are weird, just you don't get on. I'm personally very hurt about that, but especially, come on, especially because God gave me this lazy eye and I just claim it. He gave me an eye, the ability to keep one eye on there and then and one eye on here and now. That's a great, great gift in my life, I think. How, how do we find a way to keep our eyes focused? Here's the problem. When my eye wanders, I, I preached this, I preached about my lazy eye one time in, in Spanish. I was being translated. And I thought, now how do I say wandering eye and translate that without that seeming like a different thing? <laughs> like your interpersonal relationship with your wife and stuff. Like I don't have a wandering eye. It's just and lazy. Anyway. How do, how do I sort all that out? Especially because when it's, when it's wandering, I see double. And I have to like really kind of pull it in in order to see clearly. This is sometimes what happens in our, in our brains, and, and I want to talk to you that for just a moment, but I need two volunteers. Uh, I wonder if I could get some volunteers today to come up and help me uh, on our whiteboards today. Wow. <laughs> Come on, I'm a preacher. I like saying I see that hand. Come on. Who, who's, oh, hey, I got some people moving now. All right, come on. Hey, would you welcome our guests? You can take your pick. Either one's fine. Thank you so much. Look at these people, instant in season and out of season. Uh, would you take time to tell us your, your real name? Albert. All right. That is, that's not your real name, Stan, good put it. Stan, I'm going to go with that. Here's the reason, because he introduced himself to me as Tonto, and I never actually <laughs> learned his real name. I've been here four years, and this morning I thought his name was Tom in the, in the green room. Uh, Stan, though, for real, right? All right. Just helping you out during that three minutes of greeting, when he, whatever he tells you. His name is Stan. Stan, thank you for volunteering. Are you a professor? No, okay, all right. Okay. And what is your name? Kim. 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 No. Oh, sorry, my, my bad. Just Kim. Kim, are you a professor? No. Okay, all right, good. Last time I, last service, we did this, and uh, I was talking about how I learned it in school and professors, whatever, and then it turned out one of the volunteers was a professor. And I think she tried to game the system, but anyway. All right, so somebody asked today with the whiteboards, are, are we going to have to call you Professor Ben? And the answer is uh, no. You can if you'd like. That'd be cool. I don't have that on my resume anywhere. Uh, professor. All right, so you have red uh, here. You have a red marker. You have, you have, oh, good. There is a green marker there for you. So here's what I need you to do. If you would take your marker and turn, uh, I just need you to help me write some uh, biblical words. Like, isn't this everybody's, like terror moment the preacher asks you to help and then he's going to give you some word out of the bible that you have to to spell so let's see how they do i'd like you to spell this name it's just a name from the bible someone's name mayor shalal hashbaz so, so somebody back in the the tech team somebody back in the tech team was like how do you say that and i said i don't know 
But if I say it fast enough and confidently enough, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. It's, I, then people will think I really know what I'm talking about. Mayor Shalal Hashbaz, that's what I'm going with. This is the longest name of a person in the Bible. When I was preparing these slides, I, I first said the longest person's name in the Bible, but then I didn't know how tall he was. Hashtag grammar matters, okay? So to all my teacher folk, thank you. That's just your, your kindred spirit. No, here's what I really need you to be able to know. You probably already do, if I could show the next one. I need you to know the alphabet, all right? So, so we're gonna write the alphabet letters, and then we're gonna write the numbers one through 26, because there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Decided to use 26. We're gonna do this uh, together. This is an experiment uh, in the way our, our brains work. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of, of multitasking? We're gonna see how well multitasking works, okay? And so here's what I need you to do. We're gonna start in the bottom half for my volunteers, you're going to start on, on this side, left to right, left to right, and uh, you're going to go alphabet A, B, C, through the alphabet, just like it's listed there, and then in the bottom one row, you're going to do one, two, three. Okay, you're going to do the numbers, one to 26. This is not a race against each other. All right, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Erase that. The cheaters. All right, this is not a race against each other. This is just a habit. Like, how, do, how long does it take us to write the alphabet and to write the numbers? But I need another volunteer. Somebody's got a cell phone with a stopwatch. Who's helping me? Come on. You don't even have to come on the platform. All right, you got your phone ready? All right, I'll get that stopwatch ready. Because we're just going to time how long it takes them to write the ABCs and one, two, threes right, through 26, and here's, here's your part, okay, it's not really that complicated, every five seconds, would you just say five, 10, 15, 20, okay, you're just going to help us keep time, and, and contestants, contestants, you're not really in contest, but, just, well, you, well, if you do poorly, we're gonna, that, you, that's on you, brother. All right, so when, when we do this, just kind of keep an ear out so that when you're finished, you'll be keeping your time about how long it took you to write ABCs and one, two, threes. Everybody got confidence that they can do this? Yes. Come on, do you have confidence they can do this? All right, stopwatch. Are you ready? Set, go. Mmm, blazing. We're blazing on the left. Oh, he. Ooh, we're at 10. Ooh, look at that. She's flying. 15. All right, and now we're in the. Oh, we're moving to the numbers. 20. All right. He said he wasn't a professor, but he might be a doctor. Uh, when I, as I analyze his handwriting. Um, 30, we're at. Wow. 35. Wow. Right, so, oh, both about the same, right? They're clapping for you. Both about the same, same amount of time. Would you guys just write, we're at 35, is that right, stopwatch? Yeah. All right. Can we just write 35 somewhere in there? Oh, no, we're not done with, we're, we're using that box next. All right, 35. 
All right. So it's helpful, right? It, 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 it's helpful to do this experiment to know that these people know their ABCs. The first service, it was a little struggle when we got to W. One, one of our contestants had a little, little problem, but we overcame it. So look, wow. You all write your numbers. Now, I know this is a small font for you sitting in the back. That's why you should have been sitting in the front in church. Can I get an amen on that? A little rough, but okay. That's good. You did a good job. Give them a hand. So I've seen studies about multitasking, and really they've broken that down. They kind of find there's really different ways that that works out. One of those is called backtasking. Backtasking which means you do one thing and it's running in the background while you do another thing. But that's different from what they call switch tasking, which is where you're doing two things at the same time that require you to split your your attention between them, all right? And so our friends are gonna help us today. They're they're gonna do, I started you on the bottom because that's the harder one to reach. Here at the top, you're gonna have it nice and easy, all right? And so in this this section, we're gonna do the ABCs. Again, same, same exercise. A, B, C's, and one, two, threes. The, only this time, you have to do a letter and then a number. Letter and then number, all right? So, are we ready? We're getting rid of the art. Are you ready? Stopwatch, are you ready? Hey, you did an awesome job. Can we give it up for stopwatch? You did an awesome job. Here we go, ready? And go. Watch, look at, look at, how, ooh. Blazing, blazing. Five. Five. We're at five now. Ten. We're at ten now. Okay. <laughs> we're at ten. It's no pressure. It's okay. We're at ten. Well, we're at fifteen now. We were at ten. But you guys are doing great. You're twenty. We're at twenty now. Okay. And you're halfway. Okay. Good. Twenty-five. Excellent. O P Q. Okay. I shouldn't cheat like that. And thir- we're at thirty. And uh, where are we at now? Okay, so we just passed. It only took you this long last time. And, uh, but wow, 40. We're at 40 now, and we haven't gotten to 45. X or Y or Z. Okay, we got one. Hey, just make a note of 45, because he, he's, he's, he's still going. So just write 45, not 50. 55. All right, we're all done. Where were we? One minute even. Good. Hey, write one minute up there somewhere for yourself. Give it up for one minute. Thank you guys so much. Kim Kim, thank you so much for helping me. Tonto, appreciate you. You guys can be seated. All right, just having a little fun here showing you this experiment. Some of you are maybe doing this in your uh, thing. Some of you are going to do this with your kids when you get home, right? Some of you are going to do it with your employees. Right? Who are, they're watching Netflix while they're trying to do the job for you, right? It's like, let me talk to you about switch tasking. My pastor shared this with me. And this is what happens, man. Look at this. This is what happens. What are some observations we take away when we have to switch our focus in our brain, in our mind, as we're doing this? It's all the same data. A through Z, same numbers, 1 to 26. So this is 30. I don't know where we went wrong here. Uh, It's all the same data. 
but, but something changed. What, what changed? Anybody recognize something that changed? The time that it took, right? So they did this in 35 seconds, about even, right? Then they came back doing switch tasking. Uh, she went to 45 seconds. And so she, you know, saw, what, 30, 30, 40% increase. And then went from, uh, from 35 to one minute, wherever he is. So he almost doubled, right? What, so the time changed. It took longer. What else? Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this. How did it make you feel? Really confused. <laughs> Confusion. Stress. Right? They were enduring more stress as they tried. And you could see it. Like they knew from, from A1, they knew, I got to hit this hard. Kim Kim jumped in here and she was, <laughs> boom, A1, B2, D. Like, she, like she, was, she was racing. I could tell. I know. Yeah, I know. But you were racing. And look, it still took you 45 all right, so the time changed, the stress changed. What else changed? See, these people are too polite. They say, sloppiness. Look, both of them, both of them needed additional space to write their letters and numbers. They didn't need it down here. They had plenty of space here. Same amount of space, same amount of letters and numbers. But now it's... The, the quality of work has changed, right? You see that? That's why your boss doesn't want you watching Netflix while you're doing your work, okay. Here's what, you can Google switch tasking when you're not at church and you can watch a real presentation, not at church. You can watch a real presentation on this. I just use it as a way for us to look and see what does it mean when our mind starts splitting and we keep looking one way and then the other and our focus goes back and forth, it changes the way that it's supposed to work. So what makes us double-minded? We're going to go through these as we bring this to a close. But the first thing that, that makes us double-minded, I, I think, are disasters. Disasters in our life tend to split our focus. They, they tend to take our mind off of things that we want to keep it on, and instead it redirects us because of fear, anxiety, worry, right? Fear is of the things we know. Worry is about the things that are unknown. And anxiety is about not knowing whether they're known or unknown, right? And so we have these things that, that come against our mind. Disasters tend to do this. Isaiah 43, verse 2 reads this, When you pass through the, wind, uh, through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God promises his people that he's going to be with them, even in disasters. I mean, if any of you end up walking through floods, <laughs> rivers, uh, waters that are rising, fires that are burning around you, like that's a disaster. I was just out at Zion uh, National Park, hiked in a river, and they had these signs everywhere that said, can you outswim out a flash flood? Uh, you got to be ready if you're in that river for the flood. And it looks like a bunch of sticks and stuff. It's going to kill you. Anyway, God says to his people, look, 
In the same book where he says, I'll keep you a a perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me, he also promises he's going to be with us in the difficult times when we're in the disasters. So don't be defined by your disaster. Don't surrender to your circumstance. Instead, look to God to be with you in the disaster. That keeps our mind focused on him. Uh, Another thing that causes double-mindedness are distractions. Distractions much less than than disasters, right? Much less collateral damage. And yet, when we let distractions start splitting our our mind and become double-minded, we become unstable. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians to say, look, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and anything that is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think with your mind about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. God is there in our mind. Years ago, I pastored a, a, a couple. In fact, she was only at the first, my first Sunday at the church was the only time she attended the church because she had rapid onset Alzheimer's. And in her mid-50s, her mind was taken from her by this disease. And uh, I would go and visit her, and it would just made her so uncomfortable. I just felt terrible. As I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to visit, but, but she doesn't know me, and it makes her uncomfortable. And there were some other women in the church that would go with me to visit her because that, that helped put her more at ease. But one of the things her husband told me was that she had devoted herself, believing she was going to get it because of other family history. She had decided to use Philippians 4, 8 and 9 as a guide for her mind. She said, when I lose control of my own mind, I don't want things coming out of my mouth that would embarrass me. I've seen that happen. And so she intentionally took this scripture and every day she would intentionally spend time to train her mind so that when she lost control of it, she would still honor God. And he testifies, he just published a book, Don't Forget to Dance. And, and he, just, he just published that because of that discipline in her life, she never said a cross or angry word. She never said a, a vulgarity because she knew that distractions were enough. She didn't want to keep her mind tied up in distractions. She wanted to focus her mind on God. What makes us double-minded? Another one is discouragement. When we are discouraged, it can split the focus and attention of our mind. We read this in Hebrews chapter 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily while it is still called today. What is it that turns our heart from God? Discouragement. What is the antidote? Encouragement. Encourage each other so that our hearts don't turn from God. Our hearts don't become hardened and unbelieving and sinful. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. This is a mind that has stayed upon God. And then finally, doubt. Doubt makes us, makes us have a double mind. And I, I just grabbed one verse out of a passage here from Mark chapter 9. One of, it's just kind of a guiding passage for me. 
when I hear this father. You see, this father had a son who was demon-possessed, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk, and he would, like, throw himself into fires. And he would, the father would constantly have to, to help his son not, not fall into fire, and the, the demons would, would make him do that. And so he comes to Jesus. Jesus is coming through, and he says, Jesus, can you deliver my son? Can you heal him so that this stops happening? And Jesus says, anything is possible for you if you believe. And this was, this was his response. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever found yourself there? I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. Like, I have, like I've got a bag. I've, I've, I open it up, and I'm like, oh, I packed some belief, and I've got some unbelief packed in here too, and it's not helping me. And I know, like, if I can just focus on belief, if I can just stay my mind, then I will live at peace. It's his promise. I will live at perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. And this father desperately cries out a prayer that I have prayed over and over. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because I don't want to be double-minded. I know that that is not going to serve me. That is not going to allow me to find myself in your peace. So God, I am confessing it. I'm announcing it. I'm letting you know I know I've got these things packed with me of unbelief. So Lord, would you help me overcome that? Would you take that out of the pack? I want to just keep the belief. I want to keep my eyes on you. I want to keep my mind stayed upon you. I am not a double-minded man. I want to be a single-minded man stable in all my ways. So now let me point you to an example. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered for dinner with his disciples. Do you remember that? And then after dinner, they went out to pray in a garden. Jesus knows that that his deceiver, his, his betrayer, has already gone to get soldiers that will come and round him up to take him to his death. And he begins to pray. He asks, he asks those that are, that are with him, pray with me, right? And they fall asleep during prayer meeting. See, there's people like you in the Bible. Some of y'all, you're like, I, I fall asleep during sermons. It's my spiritual gift. I get that. The psalm says he gives those he loves rest. If you, that's all, I've always consoled myself that way. If somebody falls asleep during my sermon, oh, God's just giving them rest. He loves them very much. So if you would kindly elbow the person next to you for just a moment to make sure everybody's listening. Jesus in this garden is crying out, knowing that his end is, is right before him. The whole purpose of his life is coming to fruition right now the train is about to leave the station and there's going to be no turning back and in a moment where he sweats drops of blood where he struggles with the thing that is laying before him he has a choice of whether he will become double-minded and this is what he says in his prayer in Luke 22:41 you may be familiar with it he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed this is what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He has a chance to decide to be double-minded. 
Like maybe he want, like maybe I, there's another way. Maybe we can do this without it hurting so much, without going through this trial. Instead of looking at his trial and saying, this is something I want to reject, he considered it all joy that he was about to go through this hard moment knowing that on the other side, God's faithfulness was going to... And so he centered his mind. If there's another way, you can take the cup, but not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not, I'm not bargaining with you, Father. I'm just saying, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus himself, we sang about it earlier, the son of suffering. Jesus himself went through trials and found his stability and his foundation of being made mature and complete, 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 until he's hanging on a cross and utters these words, it is finished. The work of perseverance had brought about the work of God. And that's what I want to pray with you about now. Would you bow your heads? Because I believe that I see, I mean, I just see it all over the place. The wavering of people's minds with God. People who are adopting a, a place, a way of, of living and thinking where they're like, well, I'm with God on this, but I don't know if I can... I, I don't know if I'm going to, I just, I go back and forth and, and I'm trying to listen. A double-minded person is unstable in all they do. But he, God, will keep you at perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Ben, I, you know, I know about worshiping God with my heart and we talk about our work in the marketplace. So I worship God with my strength and I know that God has, has touched my soul, but, but right now I feel challenged. I want to worship Him with my mind. I want to focus my mind on Him. And I believe God is asking me to stay my mind, put my, my mind upon Him. Would you pray for me, Pastor Ben, that God would do that work? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Uh, yeah, other hands are going up right now. Look up at me, and you can put it back down. You, you can keep it up or put it back down. This is a really a response between you and God. Where you're saying, God, yeah, I see. I see you waving. You're saying, God, here's my life. Here, here's my mind. I, I don't want it going back and forth. Yes, I, I see your hand. I, I don't want my life going back and forth. I, I want to, to fix my mind on the Lord. Before I pray for you, I just want to say this too. You know, I feel like somebody maybe came in today and said, man, I don't even know how to do that. I, I don't even know what it means to, to have my mind stayed on God. I, I feel far from God. I don't know him. I've never decided to follow him. And right now there's a promise of his peace if you will turn your life to him. So before we pray, I just want to ask, is there anyone here today who says, Pastor Ben, pray for me because I need to be made right with God. Not, not double-minded. I've never had a foundation. I, I've never had any solid standing with God. But right now, my heart and my life are open to God. And I'm saying, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you, would you make right the part of my life that has separated me from you? Is that you? Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Yeah, a hand has been raised. Anybody else? You're responding to God to say, Lord, my life is open to you. And I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to look at your word and, and live by it. Would you give me the peace in my soul that I need from you? Anyone else today who joins this one? 
Hallelujah. Hey, can we help this, this person who has raised their hand before God? Can we help them by praying together? Let's all pray and allow God to do his work. Dear Lord, my life is open to you. I take responsibility for it. I know there are things in my life that fall short of what you want. But if you will forgive me and help me walk rightly, then I give my life to you. Thank you for the work of Jesus. Thank you that he saves my soul. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate for a moment? Somebody is stepping into the peace of God because their life has been now founded on Him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit working. God, I pray over this congregation, Lord, for hands that were raised. People who say, Lord, here's my mind. I want to worship you with my mind. I don't want to be switch-tasking my faith. I want a mind that has stayed upon you. God, would you do a work of healing? Would you do a work of confidence and faith that grows in them as they follow after you? We trust you, Lord. We trust you that you give without showing partiality and finding fault. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we dismiss the service today, we have the chance to worship together through the Lord's Supper. Communion. When you came in, our ushers would have handed you these in the baskets. But maybe some of you snuck in and, and missed it. If you need the emblems of communion, would you just raise your hand? Our ushers are in the aisle right now. I see one here on my left, somebody on my right. If my ushers could help us, we want everybody to have the chance to participate. Most often when we receive the Lord's Supper, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes about the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read that in a moment. But I just want to make sure everybody has had a chance to, to be served. We're going to do this together in remembrance of Jesus. If you have a heart open to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you are welcome to participate. If you remember the salvation that you have experienced because of his sacrifice, you are welcome to participate. And we want to do it together in unity. If you look at the Gospels, you'll find recorded the work of Jesus at the table where he takes bread and he breaks it and he hands it out and he passes the cup, right? But the Gospel of John records it a little different. The other Gospels record what Jesus said and what he wanted others to do. The Gospel of John shows us what others said and what Jesus did. And that is that while they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus tied a, a towel around his waist and began to wash their feet in a culture where they walked with open shoes and a lot of dirt and so it was customary to wash the feet by the, ser the servants were supposed to do that and Jesus wanted to model and say look I'm a servant to you even though you call me master I'm, I'm the servant laying myself down for you I find it interesting because at the table Jesus said my, my betrayer is here with me Dip, dips his hand in the basket of bread just like everybody else and everybody looks at one disciple and and says is it me is he talking about me 
because they're feeling like this pressure, this condemnation. Sometimes when we come to the table of the Lord to receive these emblems, we kind of feel that way. Is it me? Is there a problem in my life? Have I done something wrong? Am, am I letting him down somehow? And, and suddenly we, we begin to live in a place of condemnation. Romans says that there's no condemnation when we're in Christ. Instead of being the ones around the table today looking around and saying, is it me? Am I the problem? I'd like you to find your place as the one Jesus loved, who was sitting closest to Jesus. His name was John. He was, he was reclining closest to Jesus, and they kept asking him, is it me? Is it me? Can we not be the, is, is it me disciples today? Let's just be the John disciple. Bow your head, close your eyes, and for a moment realize that Jesus has invited you to take these emblems in remembrance of him as one who is close to him, not one who has to be far away. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, as we hold these emblems, we remember what they mean. They mean that you paid the sacrifice for our salvation, for our healing and wholeness. And so, Lord, we receive them with thanksgiving as the disciples you love. We do it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Can you give him praise and thanks? Can you thank him for his sacrifice for you? Lord, thank you. We worship and honor you. I'm going to ask those leaders of our small group ministries and other ministries in the church if you would come and find a place for prayer. And as we dismiss today, if you raised your hand or you have some other need that you'd like somebody to join you in prayer, these friends are going to be here to pray with you. Would you stand with me as I read a blessing over you and we conclude the service. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you will need to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share with you today. May God continue his work among us. Amen.